so let's see. Do, do you want to go and have a seat? No, I'd rather stand up and sit all day. Okay. Oh, yeah, I get that. Do you want to sit down, though? No, nah, I'm good. Thank you. Okay, so, re- one more. okay, ready? Ready? Okay. Hello, this is James Robinson. Since entering the industry in 1989, James Robinson has worked for most every major comics publisher on iconic characters such as Superman, Batman, the Fantastic Four, Captain America, the Terminator, and the Justice League of America, as well as cult classics like Grendel and Vampirella. Thanks to his highly regarded breakthrough work on the Golden Age Prestige miniseries with Paul Smith, Robinson replaced Roy Thomas as comics' shepherd of Golden Age properties like Hawkman, The Invaders, and the Justice Society of America. He is the co-creator of the Ultraverse hero Alex Swan from Firearm, and the creator-owned Wildstorm heroine Chance Falconer from Leave It to Chance. He's a screenwriter and film director, but is probably best known for his seven-year run crafting the perennial favorite Starman revival series with artist Tony Harris. In a decade defined by flashy artists and manufactured collectibles, Robinson was the rare hot writer bringing craft, intelligence, and integrity to a field thirsty for it, and was at the vanguard of the push toward the script reigning over all in the modern comics arena. This interview was recorded at Comic Palooza 2017 in Houston, Texas, and has been edited for time and clarity. After the success of the Golden Age, Howard Chaykin offered to draw the sequel. Did the Silver Age ever make it further than informal discussion? Yes, it did, actually. It made it to an outline that um, I did. And then I don't remember exactly why. It was basically Howard, Howard, was, Howard lollygagged. And then he got distracted, and then I got distracted. And quite honestly, I was always a little bit... Wondering if I was doing the Silver Age because everyone said I should, or if I was doing the Silver Age because um, I w- really wanted to do it the way I wanted to do the Golden Age. And then uh, JLA Year One came out with Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, and I was amazed really by how much of what I was going to do was in that, that outline. And obviously, I'm not talking about plagiarism or anything. Just you know, there are certain things that you end up incorporating in. So there was a, a, a lot of that. My, my idea had more Dan Garrett Blue Beetle um, so that, that, was, that was something but then ultimately I really felt that the perfect Silver Age the sequel to the Golden Age and we have spoken many times and we both consider it to be, to be that was uh, Darwin Cook's New Frontier so ultimately I think people got the best version of the Silver Age although it wasn't by me or Howard Chaykin Excellent. Uh, can you give us any idea what was in that outline? No. I, okay, this is so vague. I know that a lot of it was, I think, the, the disappearance of Dan Garrett, who was in the start of it, was being investigated by John Jones as the detective. And in the course of investigating Dan Garrett's death, he actually uncovered an alien threat and slowly had to use the members of the Justice League. But but they were all meeting each other without them all being together. So you'd have lots of like team-ups and little bits of crossover, kind of almost like a game of telephone where the message gets passed on and passed on, um, but without them being the Justice, Justice League. And I don't know if I was going make, make to make them all come together at the very end, the way that Darwin did or not. It, it's, it's been a long time since I, yeah. I did it. So, But that was the thing, they're the parts that stick in my mind and there's probably other things as we're talking that might come come back and I'll tell you as, as we talk did you want to use Dan Garrett because he was kind of lost in the transition from the original version to Steve Ditko or did you have a particular interest in that character well honestly a little bit of both I mean he was like the first major character that really was like killed off in that way back then I mean back when deaths were shocking and they never really happened um 
And even in the even in the Ditko ones with the new one, it, the, the the mystery was what happened to Dan Garrett. That was always part of the the, the, the B plot of those early Blue Beetles. So I kind of wanted to play off that and and just give yeah also give him a little bit of a a, a, a cooler send off, a more heroic because it it all felt a little bit like let's just get him off off the playing field. The original chart on comics. So um, and you know and originally he was even a Jack Kirby newspaper character for a short period of time. So I wanted to kind of like play up that a little bit, and, and um, I didn't. But uh, you know I, that still actually in- interests me—the whole lineage of the Blue Beetle and Dan Garrett. So who knows? Maybe one day I'll get to do that. You know, we'll see. You brushed up against John Jones a few times in comics, but never really got to bore into that character. And he seems like a really good fit for your writing style with the noir and you're mixing the sci-fi and everything else in that. Do you have any particular interest in that character or any uh, interest in ever exploring that character further? Any thoughts on the character? Honestly, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, He's always been one of my favorite characters because when I was first getting into comics, when I was a, a little boy, and in Australia... Where I, although I'm English and I was born in London, I spent four years in Australia when I was a boy. They would have these big black and white reprint anthologies where you would you would literally re- get for the price of one American comic like six or seven uh, of these Australian black and white ones. So I, I got to read a lot of those early John Jones stories, but not uh, not we're not supposed to John Jones stories, but his, his appearances in um, in uh, Justice League, but somewhat of a bland character. But then there's the, fi- the, the final time, it, it was like it was leaving forever, because, because back then you didn't have the, the idea that characters would come back. Um, when, he, when he goes off into space in, in uh, one of the uh, Dick Dillon, who, I can't remember who inked that issue, but... I, I think Sid Green inked that, I loved his right. work on no, Dillon. Exactly. Sid, Sid, Sid Green did ink that, yes, absolutely. When he leaves, it, I found it so moving that from that point on, I've always kept an eye on him and been just in, in, in that, the character and what he was, and the fact that when he started off, he was kind of a... It would have been a great, like, 1950s... You could have done that as a 1950s TV show almost, you know? Um, you know, with with a, a shadow. In fact, it would have been great with an actor playing a detective. But his shadow, that only we can see, was this alien figure, which you could do with a you know with a with a projector. Um, so, long story short, I would love to do John Jones. You know, who, who knows what I'll be doing in a year or two years? But that definitely is a character that appeals to me. And you're right; I think it would suit my strengths. How did you come to work at Wildstorm? I don't really, honestly, remember. It might have just been that I was sort of this young guy doing you know firearm and think you know when it when 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 everybody when we were doing ultraverse everyone else was pitching their basically their version of x-men or their version of this or that i did something that no one else what hadn't haven had an inkling to do so i think that caught jim lee's attention and as a result he want he wanted a writer that was like one of the english writers you know back then that was a, a thing to be an english writer to take over wildcats i think he he knew that Although the art was fantastic, he was doing the art. The stories were, it was all a little bit of a muddle, and he wanted something that would perhaps be a little bit more um, uh, respected. So he brought me on with, with Charis Cheris and um, Travis Cheris, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to, to like change things. But it was amazing that, like, he did, you know, I did uh, Team One, you know, the, the, about the birth. I actually did a Wildcatcher one, of which there were 10 pages of Alan Davis penciled artwork somewhere. Um, so, like, he really did hand me the keys to the kingdom. But then um, uh, different... I was starting to work at DC. 
I was doing Leave It to Chance, other things came up and it just sort of ended as opposed to me staying on like I perhaps should have. You know, I enjoyed doing it though. It sounded like you did a fair amount of research for your Wildcats run. Did you feel like you had a particular affinity with any of the characters, any of the ones you really wanted to explore more? Because you laid a lot of groundwork that you didn't get to pay off. Yes, I did actually. Um... I felt an affinity. I kind of want, I, I I like the whole like android love humans love thing. I guess you know growing up with um, the whole romance. I mean my, my generation, the whole romance of uh, the Vision of Scarlet Witch was something that was just part of comics. So I, I kind of want to do something like that with with Voodoo and um, and Spartan. But but then uh, along the way, you know, I also enjoyed uh, like the backstory of zealot and um a lot of a lot of the like the the history the idea that like all of these words come from these guys in the past having lived this 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 long it was it was it was a a fun challenge actually putting together all these bits of story stories some of which were very cohesive and other bits were clearly just like made up on the fly and making it all feel like a, a real thing and then just because i wanted i didn't want to uh jump in too soon the first two issues are really like a sort of um, what was his name, Santini. Yes, uh, Ben Santini. I ben think. Santini. His solo. It was kind of his introduction. I remember one of the things that, that I didn't like was that Emp uh, uh, blows up that guy's knee, and I remember thinking, well, that's not very heroic. That seems like these guys are cops. They're not like bad guys. Uh, so that was like, oh, I'm going to use something with that. So that little panel was enough that I uh, that gave me the beginning of it but then the idea that he was a movie buff and he's comparing himself to Joan Crawford and stuff like that I thought was was funny and, and suited my kind of writing How'd you manage to get 12 issues of art out of Paul Smith and do you think you're ever going to return to Leave It to Chance? Well actually I've got to credit you there was 13 issues of Leave It to ah. Chance um, and honestly it is one of the most frustrating and heartbreaking aspects of it all uh, Paul Smith just vanishes and, I mean, to my knowledge, he's not upset with me. We haven't had a falling out. But he just went away. And, and you know, partly, I think, you know, his, his father died a while ago and left him a property in somewhere remote, Colorado or somewhere where loners go to, you know, Whittlewood and look at the sunset. And um, you, you cannot get hold of him anymore. Like, literally, he was doing this. He took over the spirit with... Um, uh, from um, when Darwin Cook was doing The Spirit. He took it over. Him and Mike Klug did every other issue. And I got a call from uh, Joey Cavallari, the editor at the time. He says, hey, how do we get out of Paul Smith? I was like, well, I don't no idea. Why? Well, he's, he just vanished halfway through an issue. We, we need the rest of the issue. He's just gone. And we have money for him, for work he's done, that we don't know how to get them the money. And, um, and then... Uh, We've been approached by Image, by IDW, by to do a, a, a what they call artist edition. Um, a, a, what's it? What's the educational bunch? That, Scholastic. Scholastic. All these different people to, to collect to do more chance and to collect leave it to chance. And he just doesn't respond. I don't know what to say. And um, um, you know, and we co-own the, the book, so I can't do anything without him. And and it's especially frustrating because the plan originally, if you're following the book, and if you weren't aware of the thirteen, we were two issues away from being completely done with that storyline. And then what we were going to do after that, just so Paul could do it and also do other projects, was every year we would do one Tintin volume, like a nice hardcover. And by now we'd have like twenty of these things that that kids could have been reading and whatever and because he because he just sort of vanished on the on the thing it, it, it none of it will ever happen and it's very 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 sad for me and it, a little irksome is that he posts bits of artwork on on twitter and he's 
more than once posted layouts because he laid out 14 and 15. He's posting layouts for the issues that he couldn't be bothered to actually draw. That is almost like a, a, a middle finger to me. So, um, so, so, I. It's just a sad thing. So yeah, I got 13 issues out of him, and and obviously four issues of the Golden Age. But he's a guy that just takes off, and you don't see him again. So it's it's a a, a, a bit of even when I even when I look at Chance now, uh, leave it Chance now, and people every every the amount of like guys who are like oh I, I was reading it when I was younger, and now my daughter's reading it and everything else. It hurts me a little bit, my heart, to think oh wow, we could have so much more more for these guys to be enjoying. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> Uh, speaking of heartbreaking experiences, too, you got to work with Barry Windsor Smith on yes. uh, Wildstorm Rising. Yes. That was somewhat of a difficult experience as well. It wasn't easy, and and he actually, uh, you know what, it me more than that. He was interviewed by Gary Groth, who can I can I can I be crude on this? Thing? Oh, absolutely. So basically, this interview by Gary Groth. Gary Groth is basically sucking the dick of Barry Windsor Smith and begging for more. <laughs> And somehow or other, I guess I was I was vocal about how disappointed I was with how w- w- the way Barry Smith like treated the script and the book and everything. And um, it brought it. He brought it up to Barry Winston Smith, and they both kind of like had a little joke. Who cares? It's just the writer. Blah blah blah. The fact is, though, that what 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 was frustrating is he was he came on board because Jim Lee is a huge fan, as you know, and we all are. That was the, that was why it was so disappointing. He's a huge fan. And Barry Smith clearly did not give a fuck. So he was just doing, doing work for money. And it doesn't. And if you take, undertake any job for money, you should do the best work you can. That's just how it should be. So in the middle of the book, he just decides, "I'm bored. I'm going to make Void a giant." And he, he drew the pages. It wasn't like there was layouts or he asked first or anything. So he kind of stuck me with these with these plot points, and it literally would be like if. Um, just out of nowhere I was doing Fantastic Four and I was like oh you know what Ben Grimm would be so much more interesting with butterfly wings or something you know so in fact he would be wouldn't he that's a good <laughs> idea but um so so that was it was just and the way he did it and the way that he just didn't give a fuck and everything else I mean he's he's a very he's a huge talented man but he's always been very egotistical and he's I don't think he's a, the nicest guy to be to hang out with so it, it didn't sort of surprise me. I just wished I could have gotten one issue working with the guy where at the end of it I was had this happy experience to, to look back on. Well, that you got a dozen other guys following up on that too, and that kind of burns them as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Mr. Fixit. This is my consigliere, Diablo Frank. The line is cuddly and true. Same difference. Bond is one of the most successful comics properties of all time. With best-selling book, animated series, toy lines, that stinky movie, all the lawsuits over who's got what rights. Don't be a comedian. We got business to handle. We're here to pip our new show, Spawn Talk. About Todd McFarlane's cursed anti-hero and his fight against all the forces of heaven and hell. In a doomed quest to be reunited with his beloved wife, Wanda. Uh, no, the show's called The Spawnometer, named after the countdown clock on Al Simpson's Hellspawn supernatural power and undead lifespan. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And the gimmick is we cover one issue of the comic per episode in 22 minutes or less. One minute for each page the comic runs. Then we'll briefly look at another Image Comics creator or series in roughly chronological order, reflecting a quarter century of creators' rights opportunities at the greatest publisher in the industry. Then we'll dump a letter section and some ads on the back of the show, just like Image Comics does. New shows will appear on Road's Fine podcast feed through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Shot Engine, and the Internet Archives. Uh, until we immediately start blowing our deadlines, just like an Image Comic. Shut up! Why you gotta be a wise guy? This is why you got no friends.
your run on Justice League of America was clearly concerned about legacy. Heroes like Dick Grayson, Donna Troy, and so on. Was that part of your pitch, or did DC come at you with that angle? Well, what it was, was they were... So I was me to the Justice League, and I came up with the team, and then almost immediately, as they were putting other books together and changing things, they after the, the characters on the team, they're like, oh, you can't have that guy, you can't have that guy... You know, and suddenly I was losing all these characters, and it just became a, a mess. I mean, those couple of first few issues are a real mess. I'm, I'm not proud of those at all. And I actually did uh, six pages. There was a much better transition from the from the old team that had been in it than the issue prior in this. And they said, no, 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 start start afresh. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I, I, I went actually went out for a drink with Jeff Johns, and we discussed the idea of maybe doing this like the second tier. And it fell into place very well. I loved writing Dick Grayson, Batman. I, I loved the fact that I got to do this sort of version of Donna Troy that was going through uh, shock and trauma because she just lost her child all over again because of Darkest Night. And adding in a couple of oddballs like, uh, you know, Congrilla and, and Mikhail was kind of the substitute for John Jones. But, and um, the only thing, you know, my only regret is because they were so concentrating so heavily on Barry Allen at the time, who they not long before had reintroduced or resurrected, I, what, what might have made that book just a, a little bit better with the fans was if I'd got to use Wally West. Mm-hmm. But instead I had Jesse Quick, and I got to like using Jesse Quick, and I liked, you know, the way I ended the book. I mean, the fact is they were doing New, new 52, so by the end of it I could do whatever I like. So that final issue where she's pregnant and everything else, it was all, I, I really in, very much enjoyed doing it. People... I mean, some people liked it. I mean, they did, but those fans that wanted the the, the, the originals, it was almost like a, 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 a thumb in their eye that they, this team that had been the Titans was suddenly the Justice League. So um, wasn't for everybody, but I. But once I found my groove, I've, I very much enjoyed it, and I enjoyed doing that whole uh, uh, Earth One or not Earth One Earth Two. I'm showing, I'm showing my age there. The Justice League Justice Society crossover, which I enjoyed very much. Did you enjoy writing Supergirl in the new Krypton arc, and how much did that arc affect your writing of her in JLA? Honestly, the, um, I didn't. I don't feel that I wrote. A, much in the way of I, I wrote a very normal Supergirl in, in, in the, the little that I had to, I mean with, with all that Superman stuff a lot of it was was much more segregated than people realised like Greg Racker asked can I have Lois Lane to be one of my characters in in, um, in in action comics I was like sure so like if you notice in Superman there's very little or no Lois Lane at all but I did more with Jimmy Olsen uh, so there were, where there was some crossover, yes, I used Supergirl, but I don't feel I really added very much. I feel like I had more fun with her in, even though it's almost a dirty word, but Cry for Justice. And then ultimately, because <laughs> there I made a point of, of you think she's this young, naive girl, and at the end of it you realise, oh, no, she's she's known what's going on the whole time. She's just been working things out. So, um, so... So that was um, that was that was where I think I did a better job, and then and then when I had when I was doing Supergirl in, in Justice League, I tried to make her fun. I tried to make her her own personality, somebody different from. She wasn't just a female Superman, uh, you know. I mean, I don't know if, how good a job I did, but I certainly enjoyed it. As regards when I wrote her in the in the world of Krypton stuff, I'm not sure that I really did that much that was so groundbreaking. In defense of Cry for Justice, it was a beautiful book, and I was enjoying it probably up until the stuff was beating his daughter, but. Before that, I, I thought it was a pretty damn good book, and I think it may have survived the fans a little bit better without that one last part. Yeah, you, I, I agree. I, I, I think had we just t- taken off uh, Arsenal's arm, that was that would have been enough, and that that served a purpose too. Because I, the, the one, one, one of the, the only thing I didn't like about um, 
Brad Metz's Justice League was him saying, well, one day Arsenal's going to be better than you, you know, with a bow and arrow. And I'm like, well, he should, that should never be the case, you know. So he wanted it to be that the one thing he couldn't do was, like, pull back a bow. And I think that it actually, it actually worked. And I, what I, the other thing I liked, and I'm remembering this because I, was in, I, was, I made a connection and I stopped at a, maybe Fort Worth here, uh, one of the airports. And the amount of... Um, uh, servicemen and women you see with prosthetics well, like a lot because uh, they're all getting their connections to their bases or going home or what have, have you so the idea of like a, a, a I was like you know what having a superhero with a prosthetic and that and he you know uses it well and he's and it, 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 it doesn't in any way inhibit who he is I think that's a strong positive message so I thought we were actually doing something good, good in regards to that and related to your work on Cable and I especially like the Silver Age elements you brought to Cable during your run on that character well I, well, you're jumping around a little bit but yes I, I definitely wanted the thing about that book and that, now it's all it's all been happening and it's it's just the, the state of, of everything but at the time if you remember there was almost like two worlds within Marvel Marvel's Marvel's comics there was the world of, of the Marvel heroes and then there was the X-Books and they literally I mean I know lots of fans only bought the X-Books they sort of existed in the same world but apart from you know the Beast being in, in the Avengers that was kind of it and I thought you know what having Cable be this mutant that goes throughout the Marvel Universe and like that's why you know the Black Panther was in it Union Jack I was trying to make it him into a Marvel character and my goal I mean obviously you know Wolverine has been in the X-Men now I mean been in the Avengers now and all of that so it's, it's less of a thing and now Cable obviously has been in the Avengers with the Uncanny Avengers comic but at the time at the time my goal was to let to get him to a point where he would be an Avenger at the end and I didn't stay on the book as long as I should have I, that was a mistake leaving it that early um, so I never got to see what might have happened if I had stayed on, but I, I very much enjoyed what I did at the time, and I loved working with Ladrone. He hasn't done that much working in American comics, so it was a real treat to do that. Well, I just loved seeing that very 90s character taken back to, like, the, the Jack Kirby Marvel essence. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, that's that wasn't really me in terms of my, my intentions or anything. That was literally just... Um, that they got the drone to do the art, and he had this kind of Kirby art style. But it, it, it was a pretty nice thing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I jumped around a little bit on myself, too. You worked with Mark Bagley and Brett Booth on your JLA run. Did you cater your scripts at all to their individual styles, or were you just kind of doing your own thing and enjoying the work that came back to you? No, I mean, I always try and cater my scripts to, to people's individual styles. I think that one of the things I noticed about Mark Bagley's work on um, Trinity was that he was given he was given a lot of panels and I and I, I was looking at um, his work on Ultimate Spider-Man and and this isn't a, a a dig or anything I just think like big more sweeping more sweeping panels suit his style um, on top of which you know just as he got seven characters at the minimum a lot of a lot of characters it's hard to cram them all in and make it feel epic and big so I tried to give him more sweeping images with 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 Brett Booth. The first thing I did with him was that um, was the uh, Congrilla Starman single issue that kind of tied in with the final arc of Justice League, or one of the fi- the second final arc. Um, and uh, I didn't tailor my work, his work, so much. I, I, I very much enjoyed working with him. I wish he had stayed on and finished the arc because we, we we're having a lot of fun together. Uh, I, less, but with, with with Mark Bagley, I definitely tried to give him like big visuals and epic 
panels and double page spread panels and stuff like that. So that 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 was uh, what that was me. Yes. You brought in the dark Supergirl angle during yes. your run. What was the genesis of that? And what are your general thoughts on the character of Supergirl? Honestly, with the dark Supergirl stuff, I don't remember. To, to the, the bottom line is, I don't remember what I was thinking at the time. What? Why I did that? I just thought it would it would be a good. It would be shocking and. I don't know, honestly. And then my feelings about Supergirl are that I like... I, I, my favourite Supergirls is where you still get that feeling of her innocence. Um, I think it, you, I see it more in the TV show. I, although, to be fair, I, honestly, I haven't been reading the, the, the new Supergirls stuff, so I could be completely unfair. Um, but I think when she becomes too adult or too worldly, I think that's... I, that's a different character to me. That's Superwoman, really, a, a Superwoman character. I, I, I like the idea of someone with all this power who still has this uh, wonder and uh, and looks at, at, at life with like fresh eyes. That's what I like. How did you end up writing the uh, back half of the Heroes Reborn Captain America run? Uh, that was just I, I love a challenge, and um, by this point, you know, I had the creative respect of Jim Lee. I'd done quite a lot for him, and he he liked my work. And you know, without being especially mean in terms of um, how those how those image Marvel books were being were, were were looked at, the one that had the biggest negative response was uh, was Captain America. And so Jeff, they they, they couldn't take it. Jeff Loeb and um, and Liefeld quit, and he's like, "Hey, we, we've got a commitment for another six issues. Can you do something with these?" And I. And the first thing they said, but can you please put the A back on his forehead? That was that was Jim Lee. Take off that stupid, those stupid um, wings. And it was just a fun challenge to do a story. I mean, I mean, the funny thing about that story is, apart from the female Bucky, it could almost fit into the the non-image um, Captain America universe. So it was just a fun thing. With Joe, Joe Bennett, I think was the artist. He was a, he was a good artist. Um, it's it's not work. I am like. Uh, Oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever done, but it's certainly not, not not something I'm ashamed of or embarrassed by. So your main arc in that story was white supremacists on the rise, having infiltrated the highest levels of government, in particular having uh, basically the run of Shield. Does it break your heart a little bit that, that story is more relevant in 2017 than in 1997? Well, I think I think there's a lot. There's, I mean, without wishing to get into politics, I mean the fact that at the moment. Uh, our current president got elected. People started decided they it was fine to, to yell racist terms at, at strangers and turn um, to, to say that you know hate that blank blank hatred blanket hatred was somehow a, a good thing or even a, a patriotic thing. I think that's very heartbreaking. So absolutely, what the, the fact that you know the sons of the serpents then seemed more like uh, science fiction and now it's something that we have to keep our eyes doesn't become a, a, a fact. Is, is absolutely heartbreaking. What are your general thoughts on Captain America, and do you think you'd ever return to that character? I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I'd return to him. I, I, I do love him, though. I, I've always loved Captain America. He was the first Marvel character I ever wrote in a, a painted graphic novel I did. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was Captain America. Tales of Suspense, mm-hmm. which was Captain America and Iron Man. Um, I like his... I, 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 I mean, obviously I've read them, and they're, they're, they're good comics, but I'm not a fan of the ultimate Captain America. I like him to, to have... You know, honor and and actually stand for what he's meant to stand for. You know, hope and and the ideal of America. Um, but as long as I, as long as I, I mean, never say never. We'll see. But if if I wrote him, it, he would be a very um, sterling uh, paragon, more that more so than a a flawed modern day interpretation. 
not a character you're really associated with, but is the 75th anniversary of Wonder Woman, and I wondered if you had any general thoughts about her. I love Wonder Woman, and um, I think I do a very good job writing her. That's it. <laughs> uh, finally, uh, I think, personally, uh, of all the things of yours that I've read, Airboy is my favorite book that you've done. I, I really enjoyed it, but you also express a lot of frustration and regret in that book. And I'm wondering, where do you want to see your career in the coming years? Uh, in the coming years, I think I should concentrate on doing more screenplays. I should probably write another, another movie to direct and actually work hard at getting it made, um, which, I, which I haven't done. Um, and I hope, you know... I mean, I've always felt, and even then, I feel like I've pat myself on the back. But in terms of my 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 who I am in comics, I'm more of a Tom Waits type writer than I am a Paul McCartney or you know someone else that everyone loves and is well known. You know, I'm more of a, a, a kind of a cliquey writer that people that there are people that like love me, but some people have never even heard of me. So um, I think I'd like to just uh, do more stuff. I have some image books that will be announced next year and some other other stuff coming up i'd just like to be more roundly well known um you know i'm, I'm one of the older guys now which is weird to hear me say and certainly i don't like hearing it but i still have some you know fire in the in the in the in the in the, in the hold and i think uh, i have more to contribute so i just want to just keep working and and not being one of those guys that just like comes to comes to comics with and you get that sense they're tired and they're just doing it for a paycheck i i, I never want to be that i always want to keep you know swinging for the fences and trying new things i mean even airboy like the decision with airboy was to be as honest as like i mean obviously there's so many there's some fantasy and there's some <laughs> extrapolation of things are a little bit larger than they were but you know a lot of those things it's all like real you know i mean the whole thing like accidentally snorting heroin i mean that happened to me that wasn't something i made up and um we you know so um doing you know more more stuff that's that you wouldn't expect like airboy as well but also the stuff i you know continuing to work in the mainstream and feel that i'm actually contributing and i'm not just turning turning the wheels turn you know these creaky old rusty wheels for a paycheck by the way are you at liberty to mention any of those collaborators on the image books yeah, I'm a little bit shy of that, yeah. Understand. I'm really looking forward to that, especially as awesome as Airboy was. I highly recommend everybody read Airboy. As long as they're okay with adult material, it's very adult, but it's a well, fantastic read. I will tell you this, though, about about the books. I've thought about this, and, and there is so much... And believe me, I'm, I'm a very, you know, li- 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 liberal guy, um, but there is so much sex and violence in comics now what I will be doing with these books is, is, is doing them all ages and by that I don't mean all ages like you know Lumberjanes or something designed for, for younger readers but, but like you know how Red is the Lost Ark could be watched by an 8 year old or, a, or an 8 year old or Casablanca or you know a classic movie from the 60s or 70s where you, because of you know censorship then and, and the, the Hayes Code in films and whatnot. You had to be inventive to show, you know, violence, or you had to be inventive to show romance or, or, or sex. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna. These books will be like that. They'll be books that anybody can read, just so I can, you know, a, it will hopefully increase the readership, but b, I think, you know, it, it's it's it, it's the right thing to do. First, there are things that you must know about me. I have two different identities. You're not just Wonder Woman? No, I'm also Diana Prince. Yo, United States Navy. It's a very necessary part of my plan. It allows me to be military intelligence where I can know immediately where I'm most needed. The Diana Prince Wonder Woman Podcast. Available on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive.
Thanks for the social media support from 100 Issues, Abdu, Ali Bats, Badet Shapirak, Bill Bear, Carlos Castillo, Chris Sheehan, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Columbus Comics Corner, Comic Reflections, DCU Movie Page, Dr. G Nerdologist, Dwight L. McPherson, FKA Jason, Quatam Sheoran, Grant Richter, Jamin DeMatteis, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Crawford, Keith G. Baker, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast, Luke Dobb, Odell Abner Dracula, Professor Frenzy, Randy Caldwell, Scott Rowland, and Trekker Talk. Siskoid wrote that Shag stole some of your JM Thunder on Bwahaha, the JLI podcast, but I could probably listen to him talk comics all day. And when questioned whether or not he'd heard the interview already, Odell Abner Dracula wrote, this one I didn't miss. It was a good one. Thank you very much. Wonderful that's interview. It? Great talking with you. Was, uh, was that all the questions? That's everything, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, but was that enough? No, it was wonderful. I, in fact, I went a little bit over the estimates, but you went on such interesting tangents. I decided oh, no, to try to jump fine. on that as I much as I could. I to uh, talk. I just wanted to make sure you were happy. No, I'm very okay, happy. Okay. Thank you very much again. Thank wonderful you. talk with you. Wonderful work. And I, especially, I look forward, whether it's all ages or mature like this, 